How are you people? Okay, can I just ask, how many of you guys are actually going to go to a Super Bowl party this weekend? Do you guys like actually have like a personal vested interest in these two teams or just for fun? Yeah. <clears throat> go Bears, exactly. There we go. We're still, we're still hoping for them to be in it for somehow, some sort of miraculous way that we're going to just all of a sudden start watching it and the Bears are going to come out and play. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <clears throat> all right. Hey, if I could have the lights on just a tad bit over here because it's a little too bright for me, that would be wonderful. And uh, anyway, I'm going to try to use a little props here. So I'm trying to get all my props in order, you know. Give me props, man. All right, so anyway, I've been talking to you in the last like uh, week or so, trying to explain to you what it is that we're about. What is it that CYM is about? What is it about this faith thing? What is it about Jesus? Um, what is it about you? And how do you see your life? And, and all those different things. So I'm going to kind of continue on that same vein tonight, talking about that and... Uh, kind of like labeled my message tonight the way I see it. How many of you guys have ever used that term before? You know, when you hear somebody talking, before before they even like preface them, they're like, well, you know, the way I see it is, and then they give their opinion. Have you guys ever used that? You kind of just want to really let people know that what your opinion is on something and how it is that um, you came to your opinion. So, there's a lot of people, obviously, that are walking the face of this earth, and, you know, there's people of all ages, all races, all backgrounds, all denominations, cultural differences, everything. You know, there's just people that walk around with many differences between us, and uh, they're walking around this planet, and they see things through their own eyes, and they really see it through their own eyes of the way that they've lived, the way they've been brought up, and, and their own particular circumstances has the spin upon it. You know, you might be a person who's less sensitive to maybe someone that's homeless. If you've been homeless, you may be a little bit more sensitive to that issue. And uh, I definitely look at the world through eyes that see things through my circumstances. The person who I am is how I look at the world and how I see it. So I think all of us definitely um, have our own opinions. And we form them because of really how we've been raised and, and the people that we already are. Um, tonight I'm going to really go through some really basic, the way I see it, and uh, kind of talk about why it is that I feel the way I do, why it is, who am I, you know, what I stand for, what we do. The one thing I tried to explain to you last week is what CYM stands for, and give you the vision of what CYM is. Obviously I told you it's Chosen Youth Ministries. You know, it's, it's not just a thing we do, but it's obviously a way to minister to many, many different people if we can. And it's not just collecting for something up here for ourselves to enjoy, but that we actually care enough to send missions around the world. And we, we try to be there and show compassion and love to uh, people everywhere. And I told you and explained to you that um, I also thought CYM really this year was a choose your mission. You know, really stop and think about who you are. And I'm really going to continue on this vein. I'm going to keep talking about this because I really think what we need to do is, is talk about what we do up here and what it, what it is and what, why it matters. What's really the point? I've been reading some different books about vision. One of the things they talk about with vision, they said about the time you get sick of talking about it, most people are just then getting it. 
and trying to just understand what it is that you're trying to say. And I think that what has happened over the time this last year, we really have seen that there's a lot of spectators, but there's not as much participation. And I really do uh, want to change that this year. I want to switch that up and let people really get the idea that this ministry is theirs and that they're supposed to participate in it. So as far as myself, how I see it, <laughs> there's some of you guys out there that know me really, really well. You might know me. You've been here forever. Um, my husband, my kids, real long time. Shelby, all of our life. Cameron, you know. So they know me pretty well. And some of you probably know less about me than you really even realize. You know, don't you think that there's always those things that you kind of keep back from people? You don't really reveal everything. For one thing, they'd be scared off if they knew everything. If I told them everything, they'd be running from me. And uh, some of you really might have no clue who I am and what I stand for and the things that I think. And really, some of you might not even really care. No big deal. No big deal. I don't really care what this old lady thinks on the stage. No big deal. And uh, <clears throat> if that's really the case, you probably aren't going to enjoy tonight. <laughs> You're probably not going to enjoy listening to me talk about what I see and what I think and the way I see it. And uh, uh, when you leave, you may not want to come back because you may think, wow, this lady's crazy. And uh, she's a little radical. And I am. <laughs> I am crazy. But the first admit it. My kids would probably tell you that too and my husband too. But um, I want to tell you where it is that I'm coming from. And one of the reasons why I want to do this is, again, this book I read, it really pointed out one thing to me, and it's what it pointed out was the fact of how we really catch a vision on something. The only way you're going to catch a vision, the only way you're going to understand what I'm saying is if you buy into me. You can't buy into someone's vision if you don't buy into that person that's your leader. And so that's kind of what I want you to understand where I'm coming from because truly if you're not really ready to back it up, if you don't want to be here, if this is not something you can stand beside, then I'm not the person to follow. I'm not that person. And uh, it's not to say that you don't want to go on and do ministry somewhere else. Maybe you do. But I need to explain what I want to do. And I need you to buy into me. And that's no different than our own faith because, see, the thing is I can't follow Jesus I can't follow him. I can't take the vision that he offers me if I don't buy into him. And that's exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to buy into him, catch the vision, share it with others. Me up here, what I want you to do is I want you to buy into me. I want you to catch the vision, what CYM's trying to do, and then take it to others. So you understand that's where I'm coming from first off. I want to tell you a little bit about myself, who I was. I just want to explain to you something. Um, a lot of you guys have heard me say this over and over again, and I'm sorry you're going to have to listen to me again. Sorry. Sorry. Others, you might not have known who I was. And uh, I just wanted to explain a little bit because I really think you need to know sometimes where people come from to understand why they are the way that they are now. And uh, I was actually like the last of ten kids. And uh, believe it or not, my name was Little Debbie. It was Little Debbie. It was always that all the time. And uh, I had a, my dad's name was Jim, and my, little, my brother that was a year older than me was Little Jimmy. And so it was Little Jimmy and Little Debbie growing up. And uh, we were born in Peru, right down here on Center Street in Peru. If you ever see that, the, the house, or if you can call it a house, it's a shack. The shack is still there, and it was a shack then. It was bad, <laughs> really, really bad. We had no money. We were extremely, extremely poor. My mom had um, actually met my dad. She had eight kids, 
And my dad has, was divorced, and he had eight kids. They divorced, he met her, and they never did marry. And they had, they had me and my brother. But sadly, my dad was not the person he was supposed to be. My dad was uh, definitely, we never were raised with anything to do with God. And my dad was an alcoholic. My dad was a person who was extremely abusive and uh, was not kind to my five sisters and my brothers. Me and my brother kind of got spared a little bit, although there's things that I know that I, you know, as time goes on, you find out. But um, my dad was a person who treated my little sisters. My sisters were actually older than me, but they were little girls. They were like 8, 9, 10 years old, and he was extremely abusive. I mean, he was, he'd molested them. He had kicked them down the stairs. He broke my one sister's, both of her legs by kicking her down the stairs. And one, I mean, it sounds funny to say, but it wasn't. He sold one for a car. So this was our childhood. This was the, what we dealt with. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where my mom really was, I think, probably a weak person and let him get by with a lot of things that he shouldn't have. And even though we were on welfare, didn't have any money, my dad was really well paid. He helped build the Peru Bridge. You know, he was an iron worker and and uh, he made lots of money, but what he would do is he'd go sit in a bar. And actually, still the bar right by Burger King, just down the road. There used to be a bar there, and I think it's still there. And um, used to go there. He used to set his paycheck down at the end of the bar, and they would just take from it all night long. And, of course, got to the end of the night when he's really drunk, so all they did was steal every bit of money he had left. And, of course, he had all these people at home, and he'd come home with no money. Usually what would happen that night is he'd come home, and I remember my mom piling all of us in the car, and going looking for him. And I remember being in my pajamas, sitting in the car, looking for my dad. And, uh, or he would come home, and the next day we'd have to go searching for where the car might be. You know, we'd have to try to get somebody to haul us around and do this. So that was my childhood. John will joke around with me sometimes. He'll say, you know, you spent a lot of times in bars. I spent a lot of times in bars when I was a kid. I remember having old men pay to dance with me for a quarter. I was like in kindergarten. It was bizarre. It was a bizarre childhood. I also remember my dad being very physically abusive with people, but I just, you know, I felt like it was on the outs, didn't see that, you know, as much as they dealt with. But grew up in that situation, grew up with that experience, and then after that, before long, my mom died. We moved to a different house, and my mom, actually, first off, my sister, um, one of my brothers ran away, and my sister, who was 18, uh, her and my sister went to go find him, and while they were in, uh, traveling out by Iowa City, they got in a car accident. My sister, Cindy, died. She got killed in a car accident. After that, my mom really had lost it. She was already not in a good spot, so she went through major depression and uh, tough times. And it wasn't very long after that my mom died. Had a heart attack, and I saw it. I, got to, you know, I was five years old. I was there. I saw her drop, and I saw all the things that took place with that. And I saw them. I remember the night where they come home, from the hospital and said that she was never coming back and being that young. So this is the stuff that I grew up with. Also, after that, we didn't have a place to live because you know, they didn't want to really let us stay where we were at. So my sister, who was just very, a little bit older, <clears throat> got us a place to live in the housing. I'm sure all of you guys know what the housing is, a place where you go where there's not a lot of cash. They usually let you live there and, uh, you know, cheaper rates. <clears throat> and uh, basically what was, was my... Sisters were just a little bit older than me. I mean, they were, you know, teenagers and stuff like that. No one was watching. No one was paying attention to them. And uh, my brother, like I said, I was seven. I think my brother was eight at the time. We lived there for a while. And, and uh, my brother one day 
took matches and was flicking them, and he burned our whole house down. So <laughs> this, was, this was another thing, you know. So I didn't know where we were going to live for a while. And so we ended up, what worked out really well is my sister, who was just 10 years older than me, I was 7, she was 17, newly married, pregnant, um, asked if we would, on the way home, I was telling Mark Schuler this today, because he helped me with something, and I was telling him, I said, he said, well, where did you go after that? I said, well, it was really, we were supposed to go live with my dad. My dad was 50-some years old when I was born, so he was way older, and I really didn't have a real good relationship with him. It was one of those things where it wasn't real close anyway, and, and uh, you know, you know that there's always this weirdness. No one talked about it, but, you know, there was just all this bizarre stuff that was going on, and uh, I remember... My sister, that she, we stayed with her for two weeks, and she was taking us back to live with my dad, and he lived in Spring Valley. Still always look at the house, because I remember I used to go there on weekends. And um, she cried the whole way from Troy Grove to Spring Valley. Cried the whole entire time, and just kept looking at her husband, because she'd already asked him if we could possibly live with them. You know, she's 17. He's like 20. <laughs> they really didn't want to, I'm sure, start out with a 7- and 8-year-old and uh, have a family like that. But my sister cried and cried, and then finally, um, right when we pulled in the driveway, I remember in Spring Valley, uh, my sister turned and looked, and she goes, she looked at him, and he's like, fine, fine. So she's like, well, we talked about it, and we said that we want you to live with us, and and we're going to see if your dad will help us, and and we're going to have you live with us. And so basically, we went and lived with my sister, and I lived there until I met John and, and ended up getting married to him. But, you know, I say all that really to let you know who I am. That was my past. But, you know, we are a product of our past. We're a product of how we're raised. The stability, the instability, the love you get, the love you don't get, all that makes up who you are and the person you become. And uh, there was many, many tough times in my childhood growing up. And, uh, you know, it sounds simple. My sister was there. But truthfully, what happened with my sister, she was so young. She ended up having three girls real quick. And truthfully, she didn't have it in her to give me a whole lot of attention. And, you know, I remember in my be- being in my bedroom, being a young girl, and we're emotional. And, you know, there's times where you were really upset and you were crying and you wanted somebody to pay attention to you, and there was nobody there. There was nobody there that would pay attention. There was nobody there that would listen. And I always felt like, you know, I was by myself, and I remember thinking that, um, you know, I just really wish that somebody would pay attention and listen to me. And... Uh, one of the things I always said after that living that life was that I would never, ever do that to my kids. If my kids were crying, I would always go and listen to them. Even if I don't care how tired I was, I'd go listen to them and pay attention because I didn't want them to ever feel the way I felt when I was by myself. So I feel that because, like I say, it makes up who you are. But then there's another whole side of my life that started so long ago, but I didn't even realize it started then. Um, if I can show the picture real quick. If you can see that picture, that's me. <laughs> I was probably about four. It, was right be- it wasn't very long before four or so when my mom, right before my mom died. And if you know where that church is, that's by the post office in Peru. You go around that corner, that congregational church. And uh, I never was raised in church. I never was raised in any of that. And all I can think at that time really that I had this picture is that somebody had to have taken me. You know, either there was a bus or there was somebody that said we should go or somebody took me because there was nobody in my family that was going to church. Still bugs me that it's spelled wrong because I still spell my name D-E-B-O-R-A-H. It's not D-E-B-R-A. So obviously whoever took me didn't even know how to spell my name. 
But, you know, it's really interesting because, like I said, we had this fire. And there's really, literally, that was nothing was left of what our house had. But what was amazing, it was like years after, when I understood who Jesus was, that I ran across this picture. And it was amazing to me that this survived. And I thought, that is so cool. Because it really brought home to me, like I said, all those times that I was by myself that I didn't think anybody paid attention. Anybody, nobody cared. Nobody cared one bit for who I was, what I was thinking, what I was going through. And uh, you know what? It just like I read the scripture and I thought, yes, he was. He is. He's with me always. You know, I am with you always. I mean, that's amazing. And you know, he is with us all the time, even if we don't realize it. And for years, I didn't realize it. You know, I did not um, think of God. I never followed after God, never was raised with it, never thought about what God was even about, except for this idea of, you know, this God that was going to punish us, that was in the sky, that, you know, watched us and and made us feel guilty, made us feel bad about everything. And uh, I didn't realize until after I really understood when I was 28 when I came to know what Jesus was all about, that I was never by myself. That every time I cried, I wasn't alone. He was there beside me. You know, every single time, the Bible talks about the fact that he collects our tears. He collects our tears in bottles. And I would say, I never realized that God cared that much, that he loved us that much, that that was the God that we serve. You know, and, and I just... Uh, I'm amazed that it took me 28 years to figure out that God loved me that much. It took me a long time. My kids were older. I thought I had everything. I thought I had everything I always wanted. I thought, you know what, I have the American dream. I have the house. I have the husband. I have the, you know, two kids, the cats, the dogs. Everything looked like it was good, you know. But then all of a sudden I started to go through this tough time where all of a sudden I went through and I, I had depression. I got horribly depressed. And I wasn't a person that really dealt with it much. And uh, couldn't read, couldn't function, couldn't even go on. And I remember Cameron was in kindergarten. And I remember he would come home off of the bus. And as soon as he came off the bus, I would immediately say, I got to go. And I mean, I was to the point where I was so depressed that I would like leave and I'd go. And I'd actually go up to the hospital because I thought I was dying. I was convinced I was dying. And I think because of maybe dealing with my mom, you know, losing her at at a young age and, and dealing with death so much. But I went through depression, didn't understand anything to do with Jesus. And my brother, like I said, was serving God, and he um, was praying for me and thinking about me and, and uh, telling me. As my dad was in the hospital dying, he would tell me all the time, you know, Deb, do you understand that if you were to die, he says, that your kids are going to go to heaven because they're not old enough. They, God, God gives grace to kids. If they don't understand the whole thing, they don't understand that they have to be perfect and they, they, that they're supposed to follow after you. They don't understand that and that God gives them grace and that they would go on to heaven. But you, where you are right now, you wouldn't go if you believe the Bible. And he was explaining this to me. And, and you know, I didn't really even at the time even really want to hear it. I remember him saying it to me the whole entire time my dad was in the hospital and my dad was dying, you know, telling me all these different things. And it took me so long after that. My dad died in 91. And it was like 19, February 28, 1993, that finally I had a night where I was completely done. <laughs> I got up that day and decided there was no way I was going to survive. I basically had given up. I really say all the time that if it wasn't for 
um, accepting Jesus as my Savior of the day, I don't think I would be alive today. I really don't. Because I think I'd given up. I think I'd completely gave up, gave up my life. And, and uh, I went and bought Cameron's birthday gifts because his birthday's March 3rd. But I also went and bought Shelby's birthday gifts, which is April 14th, because I thought for sure I'm not going to be here. I'm going to wrap everything up. I'm going to get everything ready. That way then they're both going to have their gifts for that year. And uh, I remember going and shopping that day and being with my sister and then going home. And for no reason at all, my brother and I hadn't really talked for almost two years. After my dad died, we kind of just lost touch again. And uh, I remember going home and asking my kids who were running around screaming and yelling in the, in the house. I said, did my brother Jim call? And they're like, yeah. It's like I almost just knew I had to ask that question. And I said, called him up and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to church. And I said, I want to go with you. And uh, I'm going to tell you, people will talk about their salvation experiences and I'm going to tell you, there's this altar call. You get an opportunity to come up and accept Jesus as your Savior. And you know, so many people are just like, oh, they don't know if they should do it. I'm going to tell you, it was the only hope I had. And it was the first time when they started talking about what Jesus is and what God our Father is, I had always hoped that I had a dad that gave me a little bit of love and affection and kindness. And it was like immediately I couldn't ever deny that part of me. I, w- I ran to the altar. I ran to the altar because I thought, finally, this is what a dad's supposed to be. And I can honestly say that I've never turned my back on that. Honestly, when I talk about God, I mean, I absolutely love him because I think to myself, if not for him, I, don't, I would never have made it. And I mean, I just love Jesus with all my heart because of the fact that, honestly, it was the first time I ever felt like I really, truly was completely loved and appreciated for who I was. Failure, flaw, everything. That he'd always been there and he'd always loved me. You know, I, I really just want you to know what it is I come from because I'm not up here telling you to follow Jesus just because I think it's something I'm supposed to do. It's not because I'm paid to tell you this. It's not because I'm up here and I'm put in this position. I'm supposed to tell all you guys and get you on so we can write down in numbers that you have it. I tell you this because I'm telling you that's the only thing that's going to work and it's going to give you hope in your life. You can go on and, you know, right now life might be just great for you, but there will be a time where you will come face-to-face with who you are. And it might not be now. It might not be for three years. It might not be for 30 years. But we cannot deny Christ. Everybody gets an opportunity to say yes or no. For me, I couldn't say no. I spent so many years doing things wrong. But you know what's so great about Christ is that all the things that I did wrong, he talks about salvation, is that our sins are forgotten. As far as the east is from the west, we don't, he doesn't hold us against us no more. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think I've ever felt so clean in my whole entire life as then. You know, when I went home, I wanted to tell everybody. I wanted to tell everybody what I did. You know, I, I knew it was, this was life-changing. This was destiny-changing. I knew from then on it was it. My life was different. But, you know, nobody at home really cared. John at that time wasn't serving God. He didn't get saved for another seven years later. You know, my kids were young. They, of course, were didn't, what is salvation? They didn't understand what it was. None of my family to this day really was serving God very much, so they didn't really care. And but I remember wanting to tell everybody, and I remember being so excited and nobody really wanting to hear. I actually even called a pastor that used to be here and just wanted to tell him that I, I did this. <clears throat> they had a bunch of kids in their house, and then I said, who? And they didn't even get the message, and they didn't tell him. 
That was always, I wanted to tell somebody because I knew this was like big. This was big. For those of you guys out there who have done this, who've accepted Jesus as your Savior, don't ever in your mind diminish what you did because it is life-changing. Don't ever let anybody tell you that, you know, what you did didn't make a difference. It does make a difference. You're talking about the difference between heaven and hell. Where you go, that's the difference. So don't ever let anybody do that. But like I say, you know, I look at those pictures, the picture of me, and I look at it and I think, I I see someone that was just extremely sad. (laughs) I look at the picture and it makes me so sad to see the picture. Because I remember walking home, one memory of walking home, from that church to our house. And I remember doing that thing where you, you know, you step on a crack, you break your mother's back. And I remember doing that and actually thinking I ste- after my mom died that I stepped on a crack. I must I did something. I did something. It was me. You know, but kids do this. Kids do this. And, and uh, you know, there, there's just so not the case. We, we blame ourselves for things. And, you know, the thing is we're, we're victims of a lot of time of our circumstances, what you're raised in. You know, not everybody lives in a perfect home with perfect parents and, and everything's just great. It isn't that way for everybody. But the thing what's so great about God is, you know, we accept him as our Savior. He takes and he uses all of our past and he makes us use it for good later. You know, I have always thought with who I was and what I was raised with, yeah, it wasn't a good childhood. But you know what? I would never change one minute of it now because I'm going to tell you it made me way more sensitive made me way more empathetic and caring for the people that I come into contact with on a daily basis. I think God used every single bit of my hurt and pain to completely prepare me for doing this ministry. You know, to be able to look at people and tell them that God loves you and God cares for you because I know I was there. I know what it's like to go through that. I know how lonely it is. I know all these things. And, and I can speak from firsthand experience that um, life, you know, it can get better. There's hope. There's more out there. And there's times where I'm ministering to you guys and I'm telling you all these things and it's so difficult because I just look at you and I know that you don't see it yet. You don't see that it's real yet. You know, maybe you think you should, your parents tell you you should, but you don't see it yourself yet. And I'm just waiting for the day where the light comes on that you see it and you're like, yeah, that was what it was. That's what it was really all about. You know, and some of you guys, I may never see it. I may never ever be a person that gets to see it. I may never get to hear that, you know, you did this. Please, I beg of you, someday, I don't care how old you are, track me down. Tell me that you said yes if you don't do it here. Tell me someday. Because I'm going to tell you, I think that's the stuff that's going to give me hope someday is to know that I can look back and think, okay, that seed was planted then, but, you know, maybe it didn't take off then, but, you know, someday, hopefully it will. So I say all that, like I say, to say who I am. You know, the way I see it. The way I see life through my eyes is because who I was. But I also want to talk to you about who Jesus is. And I want to read you real quick in John. um, John 1, 1 through 14. But first, because I am going to talk about vision, and I'm going to make a couple points about vision, if I can get to them, because I went a little long. Um, First off, I have to take out my context because I'm bad eyesight. But this goes along with what I'm telling about because you know what the thing is? What's really interesting about God and how we are and how we're born, it's really interesting because we're born and we have all these things that are perfected. And as we age and age and age, we get worse and we see less. Well, everything our body starts to 
die off. But you know what's interesting about Christ is uh, you accept him and you know what? You just go closer and closer to life and you just get stronger vision, more hope, more um, comfort, more things. And you know, it's, you, your body just becomes more and more alive. I mean, even though you might be dead, your body might be dying physically, spiritually, you're more and more alive. And that's what's so, God, so great about God. So I had to take my contacts out so I can see. Because, you know, the thing is, I get a little older. The eyes start to go. I've always been nearsighted, which means you can't see far away. Exactly. Uh, but what happens all of a sudden when you're around 40 is not only do you not see far away, but all of a sudden you can't see up close. So you're a mess. You've got this one little tiny window of where you can see just right. And it's very small. So... I went and bought bifocal contacts, and after I had them for two years, I went back, and then they told me, did they ever tell you that they're not perfected yet? And I'm like, no, but that's information I could have used two years ago. Thank you. So uh, anyway, I got another pair. Why, I don't know. But uh, still don't work. So I basically went and broke down, and I got my bifocals. And I'm going to tell you, someday when you're 40, you can call me and tell me how bad that is too, because that stunk to try to learn how to do that. So anyway, I'm hoping for a lot of conversations in the future. All right. So I want to read this to you. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now understand, that sounds so confusing, but do you understand? Jesus existed before he ever came to earth as a baby. That's what it's saying. It's saying at the beginning, he was Jesus while with God. When God was creating everything, he existed then. Then, right then, he was still there. It says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men what he offers us still today. He offers us that light. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now that's John the Baptist, who went first and declared and said, prepare the way. Uh, Get rid of, repent of your sins. Be prepared. Clean your hearts because the Savior's coming. Light is coming to you. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world yet. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus wasn't recognized for the God, the king that he was when he walked this earth. He was raised as a kid, an everyday kid. You know, in a town that really offered him nothing. Nazareth, where people are like, nothing comes good out of there. You know, he's just a person. And so this is what he came to life as to do. So he, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was Jewish. The Jewish people denied him, didn't want nothing to do with him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. He was, God is his father. He created him. And this is what's so great is when we accept Jesus as our savior, we're not just people here walking this earth. We become children of God. That's what's so amazing. I don't know if you understand that you get that, but we're no longer just, I'm not just Deb, daughter of Jim and Joan. I'm a daughter of the king, the God who created the heavens and the earth. I'm his daughter. I matter that much. It says here, the word became flesh. 
Jesus says that he is the word of God. When I tell you to read your Bibles, the reason why I tell you to read your Bibles is because this is Jesus. This is Jesus. When you read it, you take him in. You breathe him. You live him. He changes who you are inside. Every word you read makes a difference. When I tell you, read a paragraph. I don't care what you read. Read something every day because it will make all the difference whether or not you grow spiritually. Whether or not you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you will make all the difference if you don't do this or don't do this. Because this is him. What's really amazing at the end in Revelation, it talks about Jesus comes in, he comes riding back, he comes for his faithful followers, and you know what it says right on? It says he's got it written on him. It says he is the word of God. It's written on him. This is God. I'm going to tell you, the Bible is full of amazing things. True, real stories. And, uh, I mean, I'm just blown away by the fact that this is Jesus. I love my Bible. I absolutely adore it. I, I, I really have some hang-ups, I know. I, no Bible will ever, no, no book or nothing will ever sit on top of my Bible. I absolutely, this has to be number one. I don't care if there's a book that fits. You know how you stack your books, the size? I don't care if there's a book that could fit right here, it's going underneath. That's just how I am. I absolutely love God's word. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Jesus existed before John was created. He already was there and he's saying, Hey, I may be here earthly before him right now, but he existed long before, long before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we know that Jesus, God's son, he comes to earth and he lives and dwells among the people. He comes here to be part of your life. And what's so great about that is he walked among men. You know, he was the most beautiful man, not physically, because they say there was nothing really attractive that would draw you to him. It doesn't say that he was ever drawn. People were never drawn to him by beauty. You know, the Bible talks about how that King David was handsome. He was all this great things that he could offer. But, you know, it doesn't say one thing about that. It says Jesus, nothing was really that great about him. There was nothing that would draw men to him except that he was God. That was what it was that made people want to be near him. But he walks among men, and what's so great is he comes to earth and he sees and he feels what we see and what we feel. These things that we go through, the trials, the struggles, he went through them. He was raised, he lived, and we know he died. So the thing is, you know what? There's this vision of what I want you to see. The way I see Jesus, I'm going to tell you the way I see God, he's not distant. He's not uncaring. He is a God who cares about you. And I don't care what you were raised with before and where you heard that. If you start to read God's word, you're going to understand that that's not the truth. Jesus is passionately in love with us. He cares about us deeply. He cares about our waking, our sleeping. He cares about everything. He's as near as right here, right now to me. And I've said that in Sunday school when we're teaching, I said, you know what, I can't imagine walking this earth ever again not knowing that he's not right next to me at all times. He's always with me. And you know, when people go through fear, they yell out, oh God, Jesus is always here. He's always there with me. 
But the thing is also, not who just who Jesus is, but Jesus isn't. I want to tell you who Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't weak. And there's this mindset in film and books and people, how we put, how we make Jesus out to be so we's, we can control him and manipulate him and, and not take our faith that serious. We either one of two things, we think about him still on that cross because you can usually go to a church and a lot of times you'll still see Jesus on the cross. That's not where he's at no more. Jesus, when he died for us, what he did was he died and he rose again. And it says in God's word that he sits at the hand of the right hand of the Father in heaven. So he's not hanging on a cross. He's not there. He's not held up. He can't, you know, someone that's still tied to the cross has no way to to do anything, right? So why do we want to think of him that way? That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is living up in heaven. He's there, and that's where we're going to go someday if we would faithfully follow and do what we're supposed to do. So he wasn't weak. He was strong in character. He was strong in his word. He is the word, and he's strong in his word. Whatever Jesus said, he spoke with authority. He wasn't weak. He didn't walk around, and he wasn't one of those people that was just all like mamby-pamby, like, oh, thou, you know, and all this way that they speak talk like you're supposed to talk you know as i said get a translation you can understand because there's no point in reading the bible that honestly says where thou art and all that stuff just dumb so you know the thing he was strong in character he's strong in his word and he was beautiful even though there wasn't anything beautiful about him i mean honestly there's times where i'm just praising god i'm like you are beautiful to me i mean beautiful i mean i can't imagine not being in love with jesus christ i love him with all my heart he was confident, but he wasn't cocky. He just told people the way it was, just the truth. Straightened them all out. Now watch this uh, message that Shelby sent me. It was uh, Perry Noble from New Spring Church. And uh, one of the things it says is how Jesus made it clear. He would go up to people and he'd tell them, he says, you're a brood of vipers. And one of the things Perry Noble says, well, who was a snake? Well, if you look at Adam and Eve, Satan was a snake. Satan was the snake. So he's talking to someone saying, you're a snake, you're a brood of vipers. He's saying basically, you know what, you're Satan. You're Satan. You're, you're, you're this, you're that. You know, that's what he was saying. You know, and so Jesus spoke some pretty harsh words. He was pretty critical about the people around him. And you know what, never to the people who needed him, but to the people who thought that they were good enough. And they thought that they had it all figured out. He was self-assured because he knew exactly who he was. I've always said I could never, years ago, I could never have gotten up here and talked to you guys. Because I'm not a great public speaker. I'm not. I'll be the first in a minute. Not good at it. But you know what? God's never used people who are good enough. He always uses the people that confound the world. You know what? You don't pick some 40-year-old woman to get up here and talk to a bunch of teenagers. It's not who you pick. But God did. God's like, no, no, you're doing it. And you know what, the thing over time, you know what, the only reason why I'm confident is because I believe with all my heart what I'm telling you about. If I didn't believe it, I'd come up here and I'd stammer and stutter and tell you a thousand things that didn't make sense. But I'm going to tell you because I believe it with all my heart, there's no doubt in my mind. I can come up here and tell you exactly what's the truth and what you need to understand about God. Like I said, he loved people so much. He loved the untouchable people, the people who the world thought was no good those who were covered in leprosy, those who were unclean, you know, that basically had no chance of getting near him. He had no problem walking right up and touching them where the people would be like, you're unclean. And, you know, they used to in the old days, 
in the Jewish times, they would actually, before they ever walked into an area, they had to yell out, unclean, so that people would move from them because they weren't good enough. Jesus didn't care about that. He walked right up to him and touched him and healed him. He didn't care. Spit, make people that were blind see. He straightened them all out, did things in ways that they never taught, thought even possible. He loved deeply and he wept over those people that were lost, that didn't know who he was. He's like, man, you need to understand what this message is. You need to understand that I can give you life. He knew that there was lost and dying. And the thing is about Jesus, what's so great about him is he cares about those people who don't love him. He cares about those people that love him. And he cares about those people that hate him. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter right now if you have no interest whatsoever in serving God. If you can say right now in your mind, I hate Jesus. You know what Jesus' response is to you? I love you. I love you. doesn't matter. It's just like most parents. Most parents, if they truly love you and have a heart, you know what, there's lots of times you're thought badly of as a parent. I've always hoped and prayed that my kids never told me they hated me, but I'm sure there was moments that they really thought, I hate her. <laughs> you know? But the thing is, uh, I've never not loved my kids. I've always loved them. And I would never turn my back on them. I absolutely adore them. And I, that's what I really want you to understand tonight. That's when I talk to you about what this is. I know this is a bizarre night. It's bizarre. You're like, this is a weird night. But I think it's necessary. I think it's so necessary for you to understand who I am and understand who Jesus is in a simple way. And I think it's so important because one of the things that God's word tells us, Jesus tells us, is the fact that you may not have all the words to say. Someone might ask you about your life, where it's going, what happened. And you may not know what the words to say, but he says, always be willing and ready to tell your testimony. Be ready to give witness to what it is that changed in your life. And I think that our witness has such power. You know, just to say what I came from and who I am now. You know, I know at 28, the way my path in my life was going on, it's a whole lot different from where I am today right now. And that's because of God. That's because of Jesus. I really, truly think like I said, I either would have been dead because I would have given up on life. I definitely do not believe one bit that I would be married. I would have been divorced. I don't think my kids would be as confident as they are. I don't think my kids would be serving God at all. I think they'd probably be messed up. I definitely don't think my husband probably would be in the position he is in. And I don't think I would have ever had an opportunity to run a ministry like this if it wasn't for the fact of doing all this. I mean, it was life-changing when I met him. just want to say one thing. If you've said you accepted Jesus as your Savior and nothing has changed, you haven't tasted the truth. You haven't even understood it yet. Because I'm going to tell you, you can't do it. You can't possibly say you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and not have changed. Because he does change you. There's no doubt about it. You cannot live a life of mediocrity and sin and darkness, because I just told you that, he is the light. When we accept him, he comes and lives inside of us, so the light is there. Light has no part with darkness. The Bible tells us that. So if you say that you've done this, but yet your life has never changed, that you're still on the path of leading, uh, doing all these things, not that we're not going to sin and do things wrong, but there's going to be conviction, and there's going to be something that makes us stop and think. If you don't have that, you've not tasted what Jesus was. You've not tasted him. You don't understand who, a clue who he is. And you know what? You're more dangerous by far than the person who says that they've never accepted him. 
Those are the people I worry the most about, the people who come in and say that they've, well, I, thought, I did that. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and it didn't change for me. It's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't accept Jesus because you would have changed if you did. You didn't change. So you might have thought you did. You might have got a crumb, but you didn't really get the whole thing. You didn't understand. And the reason why most of them don't understand is because they do it because of an emotion. They don't do it because they really want to serve God and change. Because repentance, what John the Baptist did first by saying, hey, hey, prepare a way, repent, because you have to get rid of your sin first before you can put something good in. So that's what we're supposed to do. And the thing is, once the good is in there, we shouldn't be wanting all the time to go the wrong way. There should be something. There should be conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. He deposits inside of us his Holy Spirit. And when it's there, we feel conviction when we do something wrong. I know myself, if I do something wrong, I can feel that. Dab, hello, not right. Not what you're supposed to do. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. That's something else I want to talk to you about in this year. I don't know how many people are really seriously seeking after what the Holy Spirit has for you because there's more to it. We serve the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. That Jesus, when he left, like I said, he's not hanging on the cross no more. When he went up, he says, I have to leave. He says, I can't stay here on earth no more because if I don't leave, you don't get the Holy Spirit. And see, the thing is, you had to walk up to Jesus and ask what's so great about Jesus dying for us is that we have this holy spirit that can live inside of us now it's here inside of our hearts if we want it now i have to apologize to you because i only got through my first page i've got about five more pages so obviously next week we'll have to continue (laughs) so uh i just really want to give you an opportunity and one of the things I, i was reading this week when i was on the treadmill and Thank God for the treadmill, because I don't think I'd ever get an opportunity to read it for that. But um, I read this story about D.L. Moody, great, great uh, preacher. Well, one of the things he said was he heard these sirens. He was in Chicago. He heard all these sirens going off. And he was concerned about his family, so he said, you know, all right, we're going to just, you know, we'll come back next week, come back. We'll talk about, like, Jesus again. We'll figure it all out. Just come back next week. And he didn't realize it, but that was the Chicago fire, and there's so many people lost their lives. And it, it haunted him. It haunted him all the days of his life, thinking how many of those people were in his service that he didn't tell them that they could change, that they could accept Jesus. They could have had their destinies changed. They might have ended up in hell, you know, because he didn't tell them about Jesus, and they could have went to heaven. And at that moment, he said he'd never, ever give an opp- not try to give an opportunity so I just want to give you an opportunity right tonight. And we're not going to spend time, because, I mean, honestly, we do have to get started with the theater. But I really want you to understand, it doesn't have to be some sort of drawn-out thing. You can accept Jesus as your Savior. I've talked to people before that said they did it at home, at night, in their bed. And that's, you can do that. You can do that. It's you and God. You don't need a third person. You don't need it. It's not something you need. But you know what? I do ask that if you did it, come talk to me. Tell me that you did it. Tell me that you accepted Jesus as your Savior. And if you do want prayer, I'm here to pray for you. But I do want to give you an opportunity to understand what Jesus has done for you. And it's not just for me, not just for Kevin, not just for Alice. It's for people. It's everywhere. It's for all of you, each one of you he's died for. So if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never actually said the words, Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart, 
lead me in, in the ways that you want me to be led. And I'm going to do my best to follow after you all the days of my life. If you've never done that and you want me to pray with you, I'm more than happy to pray with you. You know, you can do it, of course, in the quiet of your room, though, too. But I want to give you an opportunity to think about that tonight. Don't walk away. See, what happens a lot of times is we walk in, we walk out, and we forget. As soon as we walked in, walk out, everything that was spoken is gone. I don't want you to do that tonight. I'm going to pray for you. And if you do need me to pray for you, I want you to come talk to me. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. If you need prayer for anything else, come talk to me. It's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy, but we'll find a spot. We'll pray, okay? Well, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I just thank you, Father, for uh, just who you are and what you've done in my life, Lord. I just thank you so much for my salvation. I thank you for the love that you had for me all those years, Lord, when I didn't even understand that you were real and that you existed. I just thank you, Father, for what you brought me from and what you have brought me to. Lord, your word says that you give beauty for ashes, and I know, Lord, that's my life. I know that's what you've done for me. I just pray that you just be with each person that's here, Lord. I just pray that they would recognize, Lord, that you are a God that gives us life, that you change our destinies, and you deserve so much more than what we give you back. And God, I just pray that you would just help each person, Lord, to, to just be receptive to what you have spoken here tonight, Lord. I know that you have led me to share what I was supposed to share. Lord, I pray every single time that I only say what you want me to say and nothing more. And I just thank you, Father, for um, just what you've done here tonight. I just pray that you would just somehow use it, Lord, uh, to glorify your name. And we just thank you for everything that you're going to do. Be with each person that's here tonight. Be with their families, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that each one would come back next week wanting to know more about you. And we just thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen.